Welcome to the City on a Hill Church Brighton podcast. We exist to help people love, trust, and follow Jesus in everyday life. We're glad you're here, and thanks for listening. More information on the life and mission of City on a Hill Church can be found at coabrighton.org. That's C-O-A-H-Brighton.org. Good morning, church. How are you? It's good to be with you all this morning as we continue our Advent series. Uh, I'm a little under the weather, um, so bear with me, and I might need to grab some drink, and you might hear my nose a little bit. We're just going to power through uh, together. Um, but this morning, we're going to continue this Advent series in the book of Isaiah. We've been looking in the past uh, three weeks, and we've been just dialing into chapter 9. Uh, and in this series, we've been seeking to slow down, as Ben led us in that time with his wife this morning. We're trying to slow down from the hustle and bustle of this Christmas season. And the reason is because we're trying to reorient our hearts around the true reason for this Advent season. And that is to treasure Christ, his first coming as a baby, and it's the longing for his second coming when he comes again in the future. And so as a part of this Advent, we're looking at the different titles that Isaiah gives to Jesus in Isaiah 9, 6. And today we're looking at this third title, this third title that Jesus called, he's called the Everlasting Father. Now I want to acknowledge here from the start that there are only a few words in the English language that can evoke such mixed emotions like that word father. Sally, the word someone who is safe, someone who is even present with us. Instead for you, the word father may bring up adjectives like distant or passive or absent. Other descriptors might come to mind like uncaring and unreliable, selfish, or even cruel. This is the sad reality for many of us in our world, in this city, and heartbreakingly enough, in this room, that might be your reality. Guys, for some of you here today, you grew up with distant, neglectful, and absent fathers. Others of you were mistreated by your dad through verbal or emotional or, or physical means. And I know that some of you this year and past years, you've even lost your dad in recent years. And others of you may have never even known your biological father. Even amongst Christian families and maybe your background, far too many children experience this emotional indifference from their dad or this self-centered neglect that their dad has for them. So guys, listen, whether you were fathered well in this room or poorly or somewhere like in between those two, guys, I want to acknowledge that embracing God as your everlasting father can really just be challenging at times. Because of these experiences and wounds and the complexities of us experiencing our earthly fathers. And yet, it's because of this reality that many of us need to hear this message of God being our everlasting father. So I want you to consider this question. Could God be revealing himself to us as the everlasting father precisely because this is the area where many of us have struggled and many of us hurt? Is it that he seeks to apply some comfort and some healing to the very wounds that only a heavenly father can heal in the place of your earthly father? 
Church, this is exactly what I believe that God is seeking to do and even more by using the title of everlasting father. He's pursuing healing and help in that place of hurt. Guys, in fact, Jesus, as we'll learn, is that everlasting father in that he is present, he's tender with his children, and he's good towards us. Guys, he was born in human flesh so that we could be reborn and adopted into his family as his beloved sons and daughters. So listen, church, everything that you dreamed your dad would be, everything you wished he could have been, Jesus is telling us that he is that for you, that he will be that for you in greater ways than you could ever imagine. And so how do I know that? How do I know that to be true? Because according to Isaiah, embracing Jesus as everlasting father will help us do four things, four things that we'll cover today. It will help us look forward to him as the faithful provider. It will help us look backward to him as our mighty protector. It will help us look outward from ourself as our loving leader. And lastly, it will help us look upward to him as our wonderful counselor. Now guys, just a side note, um, out of all the titles that God gives Jesus in this book of Isaiah, the everlasting father title intrigues me the most. Especially when I first started studying this passage because it's the one that I like understood the least theologically. Like I thought, how can Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, be called the everlasting father? Have you thought that? You're like, how is he the everlasting father? Like hasn't the title of father like already been given away to God the father, right? So here's what I found though. Isaiah is not talking about the ontological relationships of God the father, God the son, and God the Holy Spirit. Isaiah is not teaching us that God the Son is the same person as God the Father. In fact, no, that would be the heresy called modalism. The heresy that God is just one person, but that he morphs into three forms, the Father mode and the Son mode and the Holy Spirit mode. That's not what's happening here. In fact, Isaiah is not even referencing the Trinity at all when he calls Jesus the everlasting Father. It's not Christ's role within the Trinity that he has in mind. It's Christ's character toward us that he has in mind. See the difference? Those two things. What we have here in the title, Everlasting Father, is to be understood in the terms of a metaphor. And the metaphor is that of a father to us, not God the Son's relationship to God the Father. It's not that relationship. It's Christ's relationship as father-like to his children, to his people. You're tracking with me? There's an old hymn by Henry Light based on Psalm 103 that really gets at this point. And one of the lines he says is this, father-like he tends and spares us. Well, our feeble frame, he knows us. In his hands, he gently bears us and rescues us from all our foes. That's the idea of this text here that the Messiah, that the King, that Jesus, this promised one that Isaiah is foretelling 700 years before he gets there, he's the one that's gonna sit on the throne and he is father-like towards you. Even further, Isaiah is actually talking about Jesus 
in relation to Adam. Why? Because Adam is our first what? Adam is our first father. Adam is the father of us all in that way, but he sinned and his sin brought sin and death to humanity, brought it to us. And Jesus though, listen, is therefore sent to be a rescuer and a father of a new kind of humanity. Listen, Jesus obeyed God perfectly and his obedience brings righteousness and eternal life to all those who believe in him. The scripture tells us this in 1 Corinthians, for since death came through a man, Adam, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For since all in Adam die as that father, in Christ, all will be made alive in this new father. Does that make sense? So Jesus is saying everlasting father because he's like a new founding father of a new redeemed humanity. Does that make sense? I wanna make sure we don't walk out of here heretics and we're like, the Trinity is bull and I'm not listening to that. It's like, I wanna make sure we're not walking out of here heretics and we just abandon the faith, okay? Jesus is a founding father of a redeemed and forgiven people. One where he is the Messiah and he reveals God's fatherly love to you. And Isaiah tells us that the first way that Jesus reveals his fatherly character is this, by helping us look forward to him. We look forward to him as our faithful provider. That's the first point here. Guys, let's look down at Isaiah chapter nine again, starting in verse one. It says this, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of the Naphtali. But in the later time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. In this verse, we see Isaiah describe two lands, do we not? Two lands, the land of Zebulun and the land of the Naphtali. That's two tribes in two lands that's situated on the northern edge of Israel. And it's because of this geography that these were the first lands to be invaded by northern enemies of ancient Israel. They were under constant attack. And when the text says in verse one and two, they lived a terrible life. Because of their geography, they were in gloom and darkness and anguish, verse one and two says. They're constantly attacked. And guys, to be honest with you, they probably felt alone. They probably felt abandoned by God for their people were suffering and dying at the hands of their enemies. They were probably experiencing what you do. They were fearful. They were anxious. They were depressed and felt hopeless in areas of their life. And guys, if we're honest for a moment, if we just like pause this Sunday morning, Christmas season, you might feel similar to those Northern cities. You might feel those Northern enemies of fear in your life and anxiety and loneliness and depression. And you feel like that's invading your heart in this season as well. So what does God do for them? What does he do for us? How does he provide us? What does he provide for us when we are plagued with pain and suffering like these two lands? The text tells us that he provides for us his light and his life. Look at it in verse two, it says this, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great what? Say it out loud, a light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness on them has, what's it again? Light has shone. And so the question is, what is this light that Isaiah is referring to? 
and it's found in verse six. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Church, the light and life that God provides for us in our suffering is himself. As Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he rescues those who are crushed in spirit. And that's exactly what's going on with these two lands. And that's exactly what's going on in us. There's a crushing that we experience in this life. And this Jesus, who is our everlasting father, he comes to us as our wounded healer. Listen, Jesus took on human flesh to experiencing the suffering that you experience. Why? So he could comfort you in your suffering. Listen, Jesus was betrayed and he was mocked. He was beaten, abandoned, and crucified. Why? So that he could care for you and he could comfort you. He could heal you and rescue you one day from all of your sin and suffering. Why? Because it's by his wounds, 1 Peter tells us, that we have been healed. So it's from this text that we learn that as our everlasting father, Jesus faithfully provides himself to us. He is not like maybe our dads were. Jesus is not emotionally distant to a people who are suffering. He's not physically absent like our fathers might've been. Jesus is present and engaged and tender and lowly. And he meets these people in their gloom and darkness and anguish. He comes to them and he comes and he takes those very sufferings and he puts it on himself on the cross so that he could comfort them and he comfort you and heal you and one day rescue you from the presence of all suffering that happens. So just like God had the people in this passage, he had them look forward to this future light and this future life of Christ's first coming. Guys, we today are to do the same. We are to look forward to Christ's second coming. And that's what we do in Advent. Guys, we are to look to the promise of his future return. And then we let that draw us comfort in our present hurt. That makes sense? Guys, to illustrate this, I told this in uh, Daniel and Chelsea and I, uh, some leaders in our church, we were laughing about this because I've used this illustration before. I'm like, I'm going to use it again this coming Sunday. But um, illustration that brings to mind is that I was watching this movie called Finding Nemo. And you've heard this, like, if you're around, like, 2019, 20, like, just hear it again, okay? And we're watching this movie, Finding Nemo. And she had never seen it, but I had seen it, like, five times, okay? I love Disney movies or some of them, and just, I've seen a lot. Kiana's watching this for the first time, and she's like, oh, no. Nemo's separated from his dad, and he'll never get back. This is awful. And then the shark scene comes on. And she's like, no, and she has like, she's, there's no framework for movies. She's just like, the shark's after him. I'm going to watch this on a PG movie. She's got no concept and she is just freaking out. In that midst of that, she has no idea how the end of the movie will play out. In that moment, I pause the movie and I'm like, Kiana, listen, baby, I know how this movie pans out. I know how it concludes. I know the script. I know the story. Nemo's actually going to escape this shark. And eventually his dad's going to find him 
and they're gonna be reunified and they're gonna go back to the home that they all started with. Just watch and see and you'll be okay. And with that information, what did she do? We pause, we play the movie from the pause and we watch it. She's calm and she's collected. She's like, daddy, that's right. It's exactly what happened. Shark didn't eat the Nemo. And I tell you that kind of dumb story because listen, the, the knowledge of how the story ends brought her comforts in the present for her. And that's exactly what the second coming of Christ does for us. We draw forward, we look forward to the fact that he's gonna come back and rescue us from the suffering we're facing. He provides us eternity in him. And we take that and we draw that into the present. We take the ending of the story, we bring it into the suffering of our own and we draw comfort there. That's how Jesus is our everlasting father because he didn't just come the first time to deal with our sin. He comes the second time to deal with our suffering. And like you might have felt abandoned or neglected or mistreated by your dad in your suffering, you are not alone with God. And he certainly will come for you and he'll bring you home to him. Guys, this might not make the suffering easier in itself, but knowing how the story ends for you in heaven, Christian, it's gonna soothe places of that pain. It's gonna comfort areas of that anxiety and it's gonna prepare your heart for the joy and freedom that's coming for you, Christian. So within this church, when we look forward to him as our faithful provider, that we can see and trust Jesus as our everlasting father. The second way though, the second way that Jesus is revealed as an everlasting father is when Isaiah helps us to actually look backwards now, how he's our mighty protector. And we look backwards as what Isaiah is gonna teach us, that we look backwards at God's track record of faithfulness so that we can trust him to protect us in the future. See what I mean here at verse four and five. Let me read this to you. It says this, for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior and battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. What's it talking about here? Verses four and five are referencing two separate events in ancient Israel's history. First, uh, verse four is describing the protection and victory God gave to the Hebrew people when he had led them out of slavery to Egypt. And God used Moses to carry the burden of leadership in the staff of miracles, which is referenced in this verse, to bring them freedom, safety and protection from their Egyptian captors. And verse five is describing another event of protection when God led Gideon and the Jewish people to victory against the Midianite enemy how God became their strength. And when he whittled down the Jewish army from 32,000 people to 22,000 people, all the way down to 300 people, God was victorious and protected the Jewish people against the Midianite army that's described in the book of Judges for us. And it's in these two verses that God is using both of these events to reveal how mighty a protector Jesus really is as our everlasting father. 
And he worked in the spirit in those times to protect his people from the ultimate ruin and the ultimate destruction from their enemies. So what God is doing here in Isaiah is honestly something that we all need to learn to do as well. And it's the practice of looking backward at God's track record of faithfulness in your life so that we can better trust him with our future. Guys, here's one simple way that we can do this. Emily, did that graphic make it by chance? Oh, excellent. There should be a graphic of a chain on here. The top part is what we see in Romans chapter eight. And Romans chapter eight is like a salvation snapshot of God's record of faithfulness to you. What did he do to make you part of his family? And here's what the text tells us. For those whom he foreknew, God also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Theologians, if you put that graphic back up, theologians call this the golden chain of salvation. And when we take a moment to pause and reflect, we say, God, how are you faithful to me? Because look at my life, we often say. God, look at my life and what's going on in this area or with my family or for me personally with my mom's health, my dad's health, our family's health, the challenges of this year. And we say, God, how are you faithful? Where are you? And Romans 8, 29 and 30 pause us. And God says here, let me reveal to you my track record. In the past, here's how faithful I was to you. Before the foundation of the world, I foreknew you. I placed my love on you. I chose that you would be part of my family, even when you were distant and rebellious from me. I foreknew you and then I predestined you. And then over the course of time, finally, that you would be born on this earth. And when you were, I called out to you. I called out to you to bring me to be a part of my family. And then God justified us. He made us right before him by faith in Christ and what he's done for us on the cross. And in the future, God says, I will gonna keep you in my family no matter what sin you do. And then eventually I'm gonna make you fully like me in glory in heaven for all of time. And we look at this and we say, God, you are faithful. From eternity past to eternity future, you have been faithful to love me, to choose me, to care for me, to die for me. And this is the length that God has been faithful to bring you into his family. So when we think, God, you don't love me, there's no way. Here's the proof. Here's this one circumstance in my life that I just don't imagine you loving me. We zoom out and we look at eternity. God foreknew he predestined. On the other side of eternity, we look, he's gonna glorify us. We're gonna be with him for infinite amount of millennia. Well, there's no more weeping or crying or mourning. And in the gap of the present, when we're struggling to imagine if God loves us, we look to eternity past and the future and we say, you do, you do have a faithfulness for us. You do love us. You are with us. And just like in Isaiah, he taught the people to look backwards to the Egyptian rescue and the Midianite rescue. The New Testament tells us we can look backwards too. We can look backwards at what God did for us on the cross to make us a part of his family through his death on our behalf. Does that make sense? Guys, it might help sometimes for us to pause and reflect on some of the hardest areas of your life. 
and say, God, what did you do in the midst of that hard? Because I want to be honest with you, maybe trust in God is really, really hard for you. Like if we're honest, like you don't feel like God is your mighty protector. Like if you were really honest and you strip off the church mask, you rip off the name tag of leader and you get honest, you may not feel that God has been your mighty protector. And you look back at the course of your life and maybe you've experienced some really painful hurt, some sort of abuse, neglect, mistreatment, abandonment, and that has deeply impacted you. And it's caused you to really struggle with trusting God as your mighty protector. So what does this text have to say to us when we struggle saying, look at all this though, Aaron, I get it salvation wise, but look at my life. There's no way he's protected me. And if that's you, here's what I'd say to you. In some sense, my friend, you are right. God didn't protect you from that initial pain. But he will protect you from that pain having no purpose in your life. He promises to use it to bring about an ultimate good in your life. And so again, I'd say you're right. He didn't protect you from that initial pain. But he will protect you from having it have an ultimate power in your life. That pain will not define who you are. It will not determine how you live your future. It doesn't get to say what your worth and significance is. The fact that Jesus died on the cross in your place, that proves your worth and value, not the pain you've experienced. And so again, I'd say, yes, you're right. God may not have protected you from that initial pain. But listen, he will one day protect you from the presence of that pain to ever hurt you again one day. One day that pain will finally be gone. That memory, the hurt from that person, those people, that circumstance, he will reveal to you why it happened and he will heal every wound that that experience caused. And that's how he'll protect you. It may not be from the initial thing that hurt, but he'll protect you from that not having a purpose in your life. He will protect you from it not having ultimate power in your life. And one day he will protect you from it ever having a presence to hurt you again in your life for you, Christian, in glory. This is how Jesus is our everlasting father. And that we can look backwards to help us look forward. And we can see that he is indeed our mighty protector. There's a third way. We doing okay so far? Doing okay? Give me some head nods. No one's asleep. You guys are doing great. The third way Isaiah tells us that Jesus is our heavenly everlasting father. He tells us that we can look outward to him, like not inward at ourselves, but we look outward to him as our loving leader. 
Because we can see how he desires to guide and direct us towards a godly flourishing. We don't have to estimate, well, what's my gut tell me? And what's, what do I think what's right? What's pros and cons? What should I do with my life? How should I live my days? I don't have to Google it and wonder. There's a leader who loves you that wants to guide that path for you. And how do I know? Isaiah tells me in verse six and seven, he says this, for to us, a child is born. To us, not Google is given. To us, a son is given. And what's on his shoulder? What's his responsibility? The government shall be upon his shoulder. And of that government, it's going to increase and peace will increase and there will be no end to that peace. And he will establish this government. He will uphold this government with justice and with righteousness. Guys, there's this concept of something called the already not yet about God's governing kingdom. It's this idea that yes, Jesus came to inaugurate or start his government rule and reign on this earth. But he doesn't necessarily do it in a physical way yet, he does it in a spiritual way. He sets up his rule, not on a throne, a physical one, a Capitol Hill or somewhere, he sets up his throne in our hearts as our king, as our heavenly father, as our Lord. And so the kingdom in some sense is already here, but it's not yet here. We don't see peace everywhere, although we can have a peace in here. We don't see justice and righteousness everywhere, but we start to see it build in our character and our actions in here. There's an already but not yet part of his kingdom. And one day, yes, Jesus will come back and he will lead everyone who is in faith in him and he'll lead them in ways of justness and righteousness. But in the here and now, the government is still in a way on his shoulders, not the U.S. government, although he is sovereign over that. It's the land of your heart and your, your life. It's your mind, it's your actions. He's ruling over that. That's what's on his shoulders. And so as a loving leader in that kingdom of your heart, he wants to lead and guide you. The text tells us he wants to lead you in justice and lead you in peace and lead you in righteousness. And guys, when we learn to trust in Christ and follow Christ and follow his word, we in fact do experience that peace, that justice, that righteousness in the kingdom that's already here in our hearts and that we experience one day when he fully returns. And guys, this is good news for us, especially when we think about everlasting father. Because some of us didn't have a loving dad that coached us through life. They weren't there for us when we needed help to think through a budget or who we should date or what school we should go to. They didn't counsel us on how decisions should be made or how to care for ourselves emotionally or when things get sad, we kind of felt like we were neglected and we had to maybe figure that out by ourselves. Even if we had a wonderful, tremendous dad that did all the things right, we still are in need of guidance, some sort of leadership. And Jesus steps into that gap and he says, I'll lead you. I'll love you. You're not going to have to make all the decisions on your own. All the responsibility of your life is not gonna be on your shoulders. In fact, I'm gonna take the government of your life, of the future, of every atom in existence. I'm gonna put it on my shoulder. Guys, this is good news for us 
that you don't have to shoulder your entire life and how you lead it. You can place that on his shoulder and say, God, I, I give it to you. I need you to lead me. I don't know what to do with this. I come to you with my emotions and my burdens, my hurt, my fears, and I place them on your shoulder. And God, through your word, would you reveal to me how to live and what I should do and where I should go? This is the good thing about God being our everlasting father is because we're not left alone to figure out how life works. And he steps in where maybe our fathers weren't there. And he says, I am that father to lovingly lead you. In fact, we see Jesus invite us into this in John 15. Jesus says, as the father has loved me, so I, with that love, I love you. And then he calls us, abide in my love. He's saying, let me shoulder your responsibilities. Let me take on your anxieties. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will then be living in that love that I've set out for you. Why? Because his ways are good for your flourishing. Guys, that's why we are so adamant at our church that we must read the Bible know the scriptures, walk with Jesus. We must know how to do that because it's in his word, with his people, through his spirit that you are led by him. And the more you know him, the more you don't know loneliness anymore. Does that make sense? He's your loving leader and he wants to step in and he does it through his word. He says, I'm gonna take all of this on my shoulder. Follow me. You can trust me in the already, but not yet part of the kingdom. Last thing, number four. Finally, the fourth way Isaiah tells us that Jesus reveals his fatherly character to us is by helping us do this. Isaiah helps us to look upward to him. We've looked forward and backward and outward, not at ourselves. We now look outward and upward to him as our wonderful counselor. Because it's in this that we see how Jesus seeks to hold and help and heal our deepest wounds. Now, listen, I would commend to you to listen to Kyle's sermon on Wonderful Counselor. It was tremendous in this area. So by no regard is this like a supplement to that. It's a reminder of what he preached. As our everlasting father, he's not just a provider and protector and leader. He's a present, tender, loving, able, willing counselor. Theologian J.I. Packer says this, and if you get anything, grasp what he said here. He says, to know God as our father, as our almighty loving father, it's the highest and richest and most rewarding aspect of our whole relationship with him. So then allow him to bring care and counsel to your heart's deepest hurts. J.I. Packer, always be out here, slaying truth. Such a good line. We could just close down there, but I'm not going to do it because I've been preaching a little bit, so we'll keep going. What he says there is what Isaiah is getting at in verse six, when he says, for us, the child is born, for us, the son is given, and his name shall be called what? It's wonderful counselor as our everlasting father. He's both. He's a father who counsels, who draws out your heart, who speaks to your deepest needs, who asks you questions, 
As Kyle referenced in his sermon, there's about 300 questions that Jesus asks us as our wonderful counselor. And then he encouraged us to take just seven questions and go home and unpack those questions with the Lord. And I did it. It was so good and so rich for my heart. I did it on Friday night and I wept at my house thinking, God, my life is so hard. And he's asking me, what are you fearing? What are you not believing? And taking his questions that Jesus gave us and walking through that my own life on Friday night brought me to tears. I was sharing that with Ben. It was like, what point of here? Point with Ben today. And Ben's like, bro, I'm doing something similar the other night. I'm walking through my own grief. I'm bringing who I am and my struggles and I'm bringing, bringing them before him. And Jesus enters that place as our wonderful counselor. So guys, if the wounds of our fathers have left us feeling angry or hurt or bitter or dismayed, guys, we are invited right here. Jesus could have gave us a thousand titles. Isaiah could have gave us a thousand titles. But he says, out of the four, I'm a wonderful counselor. And guys, we're invited here by Jesus, our everlasting father, as Charles Spurgeon would say this. He says, in Christ, there are no more goodbyes with him. There's no, I'm busy with him. There's no abuse or mistreatment with him. For there is no unchilding of us in Christ. And there is no unfathering of him to us. God, this is good words, man. Once we become a child of Christ, we are his and he is ours forever. Guys, even death itself cannot separate us for what's gonna happen. It's only gonna draw us closer to him. So guys, let the wonderful counselor, as we conclude, let him bring you care and counsel to your heart's deepest hurts this morning. Let me share some of this counsel as we close. Hear him say to you this morning in his word, Ephesians 1, that he set his love on you before the foundation of the world, the first Adam in creation, rather than putting it in creation, he put his love on you. That's how much he loves you. That's how long he's loved you. That's how unshakable his love for you really is. Hear from 1 Peter chapter 1 that God paid the price of his only son's blood so that you individually and personally could be adopted into his family. Guys, that's how precious you are to him. That's how much he wanted you to be his child. Guys, hear from Psalm 103 that your heavenly father is slow to anger with you, that he's abounding in grace in the deepest part of your sin that Jesus is overflowing with kindness and mercy towards you, Titus 3 tells us, and he rejoices over you from Zephaniah 3. Guys, hear from Romans 3, 5, this wonderful counselor, you don't have to earn his approval or perform before him. His approval is already yours for he accepts you not on the basis of what you do, but on the basis of what Christ has done for you. And hear from Revelation 21 and 22 that Jesus, your everlasting father, he's gonna take you home with him one day. He will pick you up from the places of your neglect and abandonment. 
and he will carry you home one day and wipe away every tear from your eye. Where death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for all of those former things will have passed away when he brings you home into his physical arms one day. Church, every night, every single night since they've been in our house, we tell our girls four things. We look in the eye before bed and we say, you are loved, you are wanted, you are important, and you are wicked smart. My girls are in the service. I tell them every night, we tell them that because their hearts need to hear that counsel based on their stories before foster care and adoption. And church, your hearts need to hear the counsel from Jesus, your wonderful counselor as well. You need to know that you are loved, that you are wanted, that you are important, that you are purchased, you're forgiven, you're accepted, you're precious, and you will never be left forsaken when all the world may forsake you. And nothing can separate you from this love of God. This is how he's the wonderful counselor. And all of this that we said this morning, because according to Isaiah, this is how, and this is what it means to embrace Jesus as your everlasting father. Church, I want us to grow in a better knowing, a better understanding, a better trust that he is again these things. He's your faithful provider. He's your mighty protector. He's your loving leader. And he is indeed your wonderful counselor. This is Jesus, your everlasting father. Let's pray.